worship team did a great job today, didn't they? And now look at their sad faces because they were going to play something really awesome, I'm sure. But we're gonna, we'll, we'll come back to them at the end of the service. So thank you, worship team. Um, isn't it good to worship together? You know, I, I, I just love reminding us, too, that, that when we come here to worship at Hope, it's not about this group in here, all of us sitting in the chairs are somehow the audience, and um, this is the band or the performers, right? That's not, that's not how it works here at Hope. These guys may be leading us, but God is our audience, right? And this whole room is the worship team together. So way to go, Hope, and way to worship God deeply. Um, uh, Rochelle, on the slides, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here so you get to fly with me. Well, we are entering into a new series, a new season. As I mentioned earlier, we're in Advent. It's the first of four Sundays that precede Christmas, and we're going to prepare our hearts for the Christmas season. Because, I mean, there's nothing worse than, you know, showing up on Christmas Day and then, boom, like, oh my goodness, I've missed it, right? It's all over, and and, and we've missed it. Uh, We might have, you know gone to the parties or went to church, we might have bought the gifts and even spent some time with with family, all the important stuff. But if you are anything like me, it can be so easy to rush through Christmas and get to the day of Christmas or the day after and, and suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I didn't engage my heart with Jesus. Like the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas. And I don't want that to happen to any of us this season. And so um, before we dive fully into the message today, I want to just set up kind of this series and our focus for, for the month by explaining this whole idea of the simple Christmas focus that we're going to have. Because I don't want any of us to miss Christmas, and I think this gives us a chance of entering in more deeply to what Jesus might have for us in this season. I mean, the big reason that we decided to go with this theme, A Simple Christmas, is that instead of just adding a bunch of, you know, other stuff for you to do to pile on top of the other stuff that you already have to do, we wanted to keep it really simple this year. And and my hope, and our hope, is that this little experiment that we'll do together, this, this experiment of simplicity, I wonder if it'll increase our chances of actually taking in more of what Christmas is all about. So this year, instead of doing a production or a bunch of stuff where I have to keep bringing our kids for for practices or or showing up for extra rehearsals or setup, um, instead of offering more groups and classes for December, we decided to keep it simple. Now, by the way, all those other things are fine and good. They're wonderful things, and we'll do those things from time to time and season to season. But this year, we really felt pulled toward this simple Christmas plan. So here's the three things that are a part of our simple Christmas plan for the month. Three things. We're going to, number one, worship fully. So in doing worship fully, I want to encourage you to be here Sunday mornings, make it your priority every week to be here and to worship fully, to engage, Um, because again, there's not other stuff we're calling you to jump in and and go and do, so man, make your focus to be here with the Hope family each week, and we're going to have some cards for you also to invite other people, so in the worship fully, invite other people to come with you on Sundays and on Christmas Eve where we'll have two services and invite people to those. Um, By the way, you might be surprised at who would respond and who will come, who might not even consider it other times of the year. So first one, worship fully. Second one, uh, we want you to connect deeply, and that's what the Hope House parties are about. Again, instead of having a big event, we're going to have five or six different homes spread throughout the East Valley and this area, and you'll just go to the party. You'll sign up and go to the party nearest you on that one night, and it'll be a great way to get to know some of the people that maybe even live in more close proximity to where you're at. 
Um, so that's like our big Christmas event it was, is going to be that. And then the third thing, uh, to give purposefully. Now, there's two areas of giving. One is right within hope here. At the end of every year, you know, every church and every ministry um, comes up and, and says, hey, here's where we're at at the end of the year. So we do want you to give here at Hope, but we're not just about encouraging people to only give at Hope. So as a family, we've chosen a project outside of Hope, and we'll hear more about that next week. Outside of our walls, there's a Hope tree in the lobby, and we'll tell you more about it next week. But together with other evangelical covenant churches across the country, we're partnering to alleviate the suffering for refugees. So that's our simple giving uh, plan. Rather than giving you a bunch of options and a bunch of places where we're, you know, scattering around the giving, um, we're going to keep it simple. So there you go. That's our plan. It's a simple Christmas. One friend of mine said, no frills, just Jesus. So I kind of like that. Sounded pretty good. So with this whole simple Christmas stuff in mind, let's look at some scripture together. And before we do that, <clears throat> let's pray. Jesus, thank you. You're good, you're with us, you're here, you love us. Pray that as we enter into this theme of, of hope this week, that you would quench our thirst, that our hearts would be filled with hope, and a hope that only you can fill in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hundreds of, uh, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus... The prophet Isaiah foretold the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And some of these words will be familiar from Isaiah chapter 9. We'll start in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, we let the Advent candle earlier in the service, and this week's candle is the candle of hope, which got me thinking back to the time when that scripture would have been written, and then again to the first century of the people of Israel. See, for centuries, they had been hoping for a Messiah who would come, deliver them from their oppressors. And so the prophet Isaiah and many of the other prophets had foretold of the coming of this Messiah, but for centuries, there had only been silence. So I imagine many of the people living in Israel at that time, many of the Jews had given up hoping for anything to happen in their lifetime, right? I mean, well, last week we talked about the golden age of Israel, which was the reign of King Solomon and King David. And to those who lived hundreds of years later and heard these promises about the throne of David, uh, this had to sound like a cruel joke. But, but for others, for the faithful, many managed to keep their hopes up at some level. And I always think it's interesting because later in Jesus' story, we discover what their hope looked like. See, their hope, as we've talked about before, it's that, there, that the Messiah would come, and what he would do, though, is put the people of Israel back on top. He, they believed that the Messiah, when he came, he'd defeat and dominate and enslave the people who had enslaved and dominated and defeated them. 
Now, from our vantage point, you know, 2,000 years later today, we look back and we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus didn't come to set up a political kingdom like many of them had expected. And I think it's important for us to look at this because it's real easy for us to forget that that's what they all expected. But that's not what Jesus brought, is it? See, because God knew that the whole human race, what, what the whole human race needed was, was not a, a better politician or a supreme king. It was, it was not about a, a small group of God's chosen people ruling over a small piece of land in the Middle East and, and proving to the rest of the world how great it is to be on God's favorite list. Um, the coming of the Messiah was not, you know, supposed to be, you know, make Israel great again, right? It's just not what God was up to. It's not what he was doing, right? God knew the whole human race. That's not what we needed most. But again, imagine the people in that day living under the oppression. They were pretty sure that what they did need was to be the boss again, to be the strongest again. But God knows us, right? He created us. He knows more about what we actually need than we do. Like, it's like the three-year-old kid, um, your your three-year-old kid wants a cookie, right? And what they're convinced of is that they need a cookie, right? But as a parent, what you know is that they really need a nap. (laughs) Yeah? Because we parents, in our infinite wisdom, we know that naps solve everything, right? At least for the parents. Amen? Yes? So God knows better what we need than we're even sure of what we need. And what we really needed was a Messiah who would come and reconcile our relationship with God, who would be that final sacrifice and enable us to live in connection with the heart of God, to bring back the hope of connection with God. And so God sent Jesus to be the Messiah which is far more important than temporary kings and temporary kingdoms. See, Jesus, our Messiah, offers us the hope that we really need to live in unbroken relationship with God. I mean, can you even imagine what that phrase looks like? What that fully would look like for us? Unbroken relationship and connection with God. And would we even dare to hope for something like that? Well, there's a metaphor that I want us to look at, which I think it captures what Jesus came to actually bring for us, the hope he actually brings of that connection, that unbroken relationship with God. And and the metaphor has to do with water, which is a perfect time to take a drink, has to do with water, has to do with, with thirst. And all through the Bible, water in the desert is used as this kind of metaphor which is going to tell us what, what life will look like once the Messiah fully comes. From Isaiah 35, it says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, one day it's going to burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. These words here in Isaiah, this is an image of hope. Think about what this looks like metaphorically, right? Like us, the people that read these scriptures, these prophecies, they knew about desert. They knew about parched land. These people who are first reading this prophecy, they know what it's like to live through a drought. And unlike us, there wasn't a whole lot they could do about it. 
right? Because we can do a lot of stuff to make sure that we have water here in the desert, but them, not so much. So words like this, scriptures like this, were astounding. They were breathtaking pictures to capture the heart and build hope. A few verses later, picture this promise where it says, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and the burning sand will become a pool. And the thirsty ground one day will be filled with bubbling springs. I mean, can you let your imagination go wild and picture what that looks like? Can you see it? Like, it's going to happen one day. That's the hope. That's God's promise. And what's even more amazing is that we understand that this picture is not just a picture of what the physical earth is like. This is a picture of the human soul, right? Burning sand, thirsty ground. That's the human condition apart from God. See, apart from God, we are deserts, we are dry. We are barren, we are empty. We're hardly able to even support Life and without God, it's hopeless because we're thirsty. We're thirsty, and the psalmist expresses that thirst this way. He says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And what's interesting is our souls thirst for God, although oftentimes I think we don't really know it, but our souls know. In another place, the psalmist writes, my soul thirsts for you, God. My, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, when you think about these metaphors and pictures connecting with the heart, I want to know, can you relate? Because we are a thirsty people. I mean, physically here in Arizona, we live in the desert. But spiritually, in, in the scriptures especially, when it talks about thirst, it, it, it means um, for someone to be driven and even tormented by unsatisfied desires. You ever hope for something, Does really long for something, desire something? Do you ache for something? You ever find a place in a time in your life where, where whew, you just find yourself unsatisfied? But part of you knows, oh, wait, it's out there. Like, I'm going to get it, right? One of these days, someday I'm going to find it. I'm going to have it. I mean, I think that's a question that's worth spending time on. And, and, and this week, the handout that we, we just gave you, that'll help you this week if you want to walk through this journey to spend some time on that question. But the question would be, what do you long and ache for? What do you long? What do you ache for? Last night, Heidi and I watched this, this old movie called Key Largo. Anybody seen this? Really old, black and white, yeah? Stars, stars uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. And in the movie, there's this requisite bad guy, right? This psychopath named Johnny Rocco. And he does horrible things, right? And they're down in Florida where Rocco's holding everybody hostage, and they're in the middle of a hurricane. And at one point, somebody asks him, Johnny Rocco, why are you doing all this bad stuff? Like, what do you want? What do you want? And his face kind of clouds over because, you know, he's not a real introspective, reflective kind of guy, right? You know, he's never been through therapy. He's not at all self-aware. <clears throat> he doesn't really know what he wants. Then Humphrey Bogart looks at him and says, I know what you want. Rocco, you want more. And instantly, Johnny Rocco's face lights up. He goes, yeah, that's what I want. 
I want more. See, he's convinced, and he lights up when it hits him, because he's convinced that if he gets more, one day it will lead to soul satisfaction. And I think that little scene in, in, in Key Largo, that Johnny Rocco character, sheds a little light maybe on our stories too. See, when we get a little more of something, it always produces this burst of gratification. And we go, wow, that was really good. And that can create this illusion that if I just get enough of that more one day, my, quench, my, my thirst will be quenched and my soul will be satisfied. That was like a good taste, but I need, I need more. And so we spend our life looking for, you know, it, right? I spend my life looking for it, looking and hoping for more. Um, If I'm a six-year-old child, you know, it might be the latest version of Tickle Me Elmo, right? If I could have Tickle Me Elmo, that would be all I want, right? Actually, look this up. Um, There was Tickle Me Elmo, there was uh, Walk and Talk Elmo, and then there was Rock and Roll Elmo. A couple years later, there was Elmo Live, and then Tickle Me Elmo Extreme. Um, No kidding, I looked this up. The last one, I think, was LOL Elmo. Laugh out loud, Elmo, right? So, um, I don't think they do too much. They put a little thing in his hand, and oh, we got a whole new crazed toy, right? But but I remember back when that whole craze happened, what, 20-some years ago? Um, I remember watching little kids and parents... Um, and little kids everywhere just believed, you know, oh my goodness, if I could just have that, I would be happy for the rest of my life. But whether it's Tickle Me Elmo or something else that we're sure we have to have, it never works, does it? Right? I mean, you never run into a 60-year-old who, who got a Tickle Me Elmo doll back when they were six And although they had a lot of disappointment the rest of their life, they were, you know, isolated, unemployed, all that, but they were happy anyways because they got Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas back when they were six years old, right? Okay, if you didn't laugh at that, I'm worried that you think you still need a Tickle Me Elmo doll. Because that was pretty funny in my head. Isaac, we do have some more therapy referrals if you need. Okay, thanks, buddy. See, but the thing is, we want it. Whatever it is, we want it, don't we? And later on in life, after we're a little older, it becomes, you know, more success, right? If I could just make the team. If I could make the honor roll. If I could get the promotion. If I could be CEO. Or if I was just more successful. Or maybe for some of us, it that we're longing for, looking for, that thing that's elusive, the thirsty Uh, part of our heart that's chasing something. Maybe we're chasing relationship. We don't enjoy the status of where we're at right now, so we might be like, hey, now I'm single, but I'll be happier when I'm seeing somebody. And then, well, now I'm seeing somebody, but I'll be happier when I'm engaged. And then it becomes, well, now that I'm engaged, I'll be happier when I'm married. And then we get married, and it's, well, now that I'm married, I'll be really happy when we have children in the house. And then we get children in the house, and we know now I'll be really happy when they what? Move out of the house. (laughs) It's always going to happen, right? At some point, it's always going to happen. I'll be okay when things are different, right? Instead of living in hope for the present, we just have this pull for more, 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 but it's, it's never enough. And sadly, when we get tired or, or wear ourselves out on that treadmill, we just get bored. We get empty, we get dry inside, 
And it's back to this living in the desert. Because the truth is, no matter what we accomplish or achieve or possess or pursue, those things never lead to lasting soul satisfaction. And some of us know what it's like to wake up to this voice that says, more, more, more. I'm on a treadmill. I just can't get off this treadmill. I'd like to be content. I'd like to be grateful. I'd like to be humble. But but I can't get there. My soul feels hollow or empty or dry. I keep getting busy. I'm working to distract myself. I'm engaging in hobbies. and, And I'm just numbing my pain by watching TV. But it feels like there's a desert inside of me no matter what I do. And God looks on us. He sees this. And he knows that we feel dry and unsatisfied and empty and withered, that we're old in our souls, and we do it to ourselves because we keep running after it, right? If I could buy it or achieve it or climb it or win it. And the problem is when we live that way, we put our hope in it. And the truth is, sometimes we do feel dry and empty inside. We don't want other people to know about this, so we just wear a mask. We tell everybody we're fine, but we're not. And we start to lose hope. And in that state of life, this this crucial crossroads we come to, in that dry time, there's a crossroads. And when we realize how thirsty we are, I think we have a couple of options. First, A, we might just kind of, okay, well, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to lock away my heart. I'm going to turn off my emotions. Um, For some people, it looks like, you know, religious posturing or maybe pasting Christian cliches over our pain or confusion or desire, but we're going to shut off our emotions, and we're going to act like living that way is somehow, you know, godly. By the way, it's not. (laughs) To shut down our hearts, and I'm just going to get along. Forget all that desire stuff. So we could go that way. We could also go another way, which has lots of paths, um, where we dare to quench the thirst. We dare to quench that thirst, that longing inside of us. But here, too, is a myriad of landmines and options, because how we choose to quench the thirst is so important, right? So when I want to quench my thirst, my hunger, and my soul, I can either turn to God, right? I take a a drink from the water of life from Jesus. Or I can pursue other options. I can pursue counterfeits. I mean, on the the pursuing God's option side, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. God offers himself. God offers himself as the one to quench our thirst, to be our all. The scriptures are really clear that he comes to us to be our lover, That Jesus wants to quench our deepest thirst so we can stop chasing it. (laughs) We can taste the hope that Jesus offers. We can ask him to quench our thirst. So there's that available to us. (sighs) But sadly, most of us, and probably all of us from time to time, go to the other side, the counterfeit side, Um, Because the enemy will come and whisper to us, hey, (laughs) listen, listen, you don't have to stay thirsty. (laughs) Now you can fill that desire because there are options, right? And when the enemy says that part, he's not lying. There are options, right? We can turn to all kinds of other things to quench the thirst. But the lie he's telling us when we believe that is that the other options, any option besides depending on God, that he, he lies when he says to us that these options will bring you life, that these options will ultimately quench our thirst. See, that's the lie. But friends, I fall for it all the time. 
Anybody else? See, when that stuff looks really tempting in front of me, it looks like it might work. And in fact, you know, the more I turn my back on God, the more I go, wow, there's a whole bunch of other options. But what I've discovered and what the wisdom of Scripture tells us is that those other options are like wells that can't even hold water. God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug, dug their own cisterns, their own wells, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How about you? What are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for intimacy? Are you thirsty for unconditional love and acceptance? Maybe you need affirmation or to be convinced that you're not alone. Jeff Van Vonderen's an author with tremendous insight into the needs that all people are wired with. He's actually the guy that started the TV show Intervention, if you've seen that on A&E. Um, and, and he used to work at my home church on staff when, when I was there, Church of the Open Door in Minnesota. But Jeff summarizes these three core needs that each one of us has. He summarizes them this way, that we need to be convinced that we are loved and accepted without conditions. That's a core need. He says, we need to be convinced that we are valuable, capable, and special. And the third one is, we need to be convinced that we are not alone as we face life's problems. And when those needs are not met, when that thirst is not quenched, the question becomes, where do we go? Honestly, not the religious answer, but what do we do? Like, what do we honestly do when we're lonely or when we feel worthless or inferior? What do we do when we feel unloved? And if we don't take that thirst to God, harder question, where do we take it? I mean, think about this. Where do you take it to personally? Like for me, often I go to busyness. I go to achieving or performance. I go to food, people-pleasing, cynicism, anger. Those are my broken cisterns, my broken wells. And how about you? What are the wells that you go to? Is it looking to men for your answer or to women, to, to work, some kind of religious performance? Does it look like lust, trying to satisfy it with too much to drink? For you, you know, what is it for you in your life? All right, turn to your neighbor now and tell them, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. We wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> just kidding. But the question is there. We won't make you say it to anyone. This is just between you and God. Do you have the courage to even own it in your head, in your mind, to be honest with God? What's the well that you go to? And when you get honest about that, a great question to ask is, okay, so that thing that you do, is there really life in that? Like, is it working for you? The chemicals, the alcohol, the striving, the achievement, the relationship addiction, is that, is that actually working for you? And, and yes, you know what, for a time, it might seem like those things, you know, quote-unquote work, but we weren't designed to live that way for long. And honestly, deep inside of us, we know and it's not working, we know it's not life, but we look for these shortcuts. Like we give our lives away to something else, to, to get at what looks like our treasure, the, the thing that will quench our thirst. We give all this stuff away to try to take the shortcut. And we start with legitimate needs, God-given needs, intimacy, right? 
That's a God-given need. The need for unconditional love, God-given. The need to be accepted and to not be alone. Those are all wired into us by God. But instead of taking them to him, I go over here. I go to the wrong well to drink. Because each one of us is prone to grasp at some kind of quick fix. And again, we use all kinds of stuff to, to, to get the escape, right? To get the quick fix. Indulgence, lust, exercise, religion, that extra glass of wine, busyness. I mean, a, a deep place for you to go with Jesus this week would to get honest about where you go in times of stress or anxiety or anger or loneliness. Just, just kind of catch yourself this week, not to beat up on yourself, but, but just notice the counterfeit lovers that come to you offering to fill your thirst. For some of us, we're so wrapped up in being driven and busy, right? Like I get so busy that I can't stop and sort out what I really actually need. Instead, then I just take the shortcut, the stuff I'm used to, the stuff that looks like it will gratify my desires and meet my needs apart from Jesus. And mostly, even when we become aware of whatever our sin is, because most of us know it, right? Whatever it is that draws us, we then, oh, we just feel bad about it, right? Then we camp out in shame and we beat ourselves up for blowing it again. And when we get stuck in shame, we just kind of wallow there. We're trying to make ourselves feel guilty enough to stop sinning again. Listen real carefully. That never works. It doesn't work. Friends, we don't get free of sin or habits or hang-ups or addictions by feeling bad about ourselves. It doesn't work. Like, oh, yes, the sin, whatever it is that we're drawn to and do, it is a problem. But, friends, if we want to take a step towards hope, towards the freedom that Jesus offers us, we've got to start asking a different question. What am I thirsty for? What am I thirsty for? What need am I trying to fill? Like, when I sin, is, is it the need I'm trying to fill? Where I'm trying, I'm trying to be loved. I'm trying to be accepted I want to feel relief. I want to feel joy. I want to feel secure. Because getting to that place is way more helpful. Way more helpful in getting free. Now, follow me here in this thought. Um, again, especially if you're aware right now of an area where you're struggling or that you tend to go to. Um, whatever it is that we look to that draws us into, you know, that kind of sin, it actually is helpful because it displays exactly where it is that we don't trust that God is good, right? Where we don't trust that he is good, that we don't believe he can fill that need, so I go to this thing instead, okay? So, <clears throat> when I lust, it reveals this about my heart. When I lust, it reveals that I don't trust or believe that God can or will meet my needs for intimacy, so what we do is we turn to lust to try to meet that need, which, how many of you know, doesn't work. <laughs> or um, when I'm not generous, when I'm not willing to share or give, it reveals that I don't trust God to be my provider. So I'm going to clutch what's mine. I don't think God's going to take care of me. I'm going to hang on to what I got. 
How about this? Look for this this week. When I'm judgmental toward other people, it reveals that I don't trust that God's grace really works. Like, look for that this week, where, where you notice yourself being judgmental against those people and that person, even if they did something horribly wrong, but carrying that judgmental above them, it just reveals, I don't really think God's grace works. It doesn't work. I can't give that away, because then what's going to happen? See, all of those things and so much more. Um, in fact, all sin is, is generated from misdirected desires. Like, I desire intimacy. I desire security. I desire acceptance. I desire love. But where I go to get those needs met, where I take my heart to drink from the waters of life, that's where my life's going to drift to. That's where my heart's going to belong to. Now, I don't want any of us feeling beat up or shamed as we, as we leave in a little bit here because, friends, we are all thirsty people, and God created us to thirst. He intends to fill those thirsts. And, friends, there's amazing grace, good news, really good news, because one of the gifts of the coming of Jesus is that we are now reconciled to God and we have access to the source that promises to satisfy all our longings. Troy, will you come? Friends, if, here's the deal. I can depend on God to meet all of my needs or I can go to counterfeits. And here's what I know. If I depend on God, I will find true life. And when I depend on counterfeits, I end up with emptiness, anxiety, more loneliness. I'm more thirsty than ever. And the people of God in the Old Testament suffered from the same condition that we do. God sees their need. He sees our need. He sees this dry desert of our hearts. And he makes that promise I want to read again that we looked at earlier in Isaiah 35, where he said, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground one day will be filled with bubbling springs. Can you imagine that being true of your heart in the thirsty places that you have? God promises it to us right there. And so one day God sends his son. He sends us a gift. Jesus is born as the fulfillment of the promise of hope to a thirsty people, people like you and like me. Jesus shows up and reveals himself as the Messiah, and he stands up and says to a people who are living in a desert, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. Friends, are you dying of thirst? Jesus says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And for thirsty people like us, that's really good news. It's filled with hope. You and I, we can stop running after it. <laughs> we can stop killing ourselves and wearing ourselves out chasing the next thing. We can let go of this idea that more, more, more is somehow going to satisfy us. And I've got to be honest, it won't be an easy thing to do, right? To let go of that kind of stuff, it might hurt a little bit. There might be some sting to let go of those counterfeit lovers, 
We might not even be happier in the moment, but I can tell you this. When we begin to die to the idea now that turning to all that stuff is going to work, and we turn the focus of our desire on what is ultimately the only hope for soul satisfaction that your soul will ever know, then we turn to the God who made and loves you. Because one day, it will rain in the desert. (laughs) And one day, all that you've longed for and ached for will be fulfilled. One day, the promise will take hold forever and ever. This is the simple hope of Advent. We walk in darkness, but we see a great light. We live in a desert, but the rain is coming. And so wouldn't that be something to ask God to give you for Christmas this year? For my thirst to be quenched by the love and life of Jesus. And while our focus this month is on a simple Christmas, the longings of our heart, I'll admit it, are very complex. But friends, the hope for the longing of our heart to be filled is simply Jesus. Need Jesus.